I wonder if you have a treasured possession, something that is special to you. When I was growing up, my treasured possession was my Lego. So all through primary school, all through high school, I had a growing collection of Lego. It went everywhere with us. It came on holidays. When friends came round, out came the big mat and out came all the Lego. Not just ordinary Lego, technical sets. Do I see any eyes lighting up there with cogs and motors and so on? I've still got it. But out of all my Lego, my favourite was my Lego car. It was about this big and it took three or four weeks to build, non-stop. It had a four-cylinder engine and all the pistons went in and out with the correct timings. It had a three-speed gearbox and the gearbox worked. You could actually change gears and the cogs slid. It had rack and pinion steering. The seats went forward and back and reclined. It was fantastic. The funny thing, though, I would spend hours and hours building this Lego car. And when it was finished, it was always a bit of an anticlimax. What now? So I'd usually just sit it up on my bookshelf for a week or two, get bored because I couldn't really play with it up there. Then I'd pull it all to bits and start all over again. Have you ever had that moment where you finish something and you think, what now? As if kind of the fun was the getting there and then you're there and a bit of an anticlimax. So far we have spent two weeks in the book of Exodus. We have seen God rescue his people out of Egypt with incredible signs and wonders. And the question really raised by today's passage is, is that it? Is there a purpose to this rescue that God has just brought about? Or do Israel just sort of hang around now like my car on the bookshelf? What are they there for? And in Exodus 19, the passage that was just read, we find out what God has saved Israel for. And there is a purpose. There is a huge purpose. And it's actually got some lessons about what God has saved us for. So let's have a look. Exodus 19. And we'll just read that first bit again. Verse 1. By Exodus 19, Israel have been rescued now for three months. Verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. Verse 3. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's what we've seen so far. That is the rescue. God says he's carried them on eagles' wings. He's powerfully rescued them out of Egypt. Why? Verse 5. This is what it's all about. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. The nation of Israel who he has just rescued will be his treasured possession. Now that's funny because in one sense the whole world is God's possession, isn't it? He owns every continent, he owns every nation, he owns every person. But this group of people who he has rescued, they will be his special possession, his treasured possession in a way that the rest of the world isn't. And there is a purpose to this treasured possession. Verse 6, 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, what's a kingdom of priests mean? What's a holy nation mean? We're going to think about those two things one at a time because they are very important ideas. Firstly, what is a kingdom of priests? Or what is a priest? A priest is a go-between between people and God. Priests popped up in Genesis, and as we read on in the book of Exodus, we're going to find out more about the roles of a priest. If you've ever bought a house and it's gone through an agent, there's this sort of thing that happens where you can't talk to the people you're buying the house from, you go through the agent. So you talk to the agent and then they go and talk to the people. Then the people talk to the agent and then the agent talks to you so that you're not dealing directly with each other. And the whole process puts a distance between you and this other person who you don't actually actually see or talk to. You can still communicate, but through a third party. That's a bit like what a priest does. He allows us to come to God to find out about God, but at a distance, not directly. Not directly might sound, well, I'd prefer to go directly, but you come directly before God in your sin and you are annihilated. God cannot tolerate sin. And so in the Old Testament, the way people had to come to God was through a priest and there was a distance there. Now that is wonderfully changed because of Jesus, in an unheard of way, he gives us access to God through him directly. More about that next week. But for now, in the Old Testament, you had to go through a priest. God says the entire nation of Israel will be priests. In other words, if you want to find out about God, you now come to the nation of Israel. They're there to show people what God is like. How will that work? Well, that's that second phrase, a holy nation. Holy means different. It sounds like a religious word, but really it just means different. My wife, Jill, can't have gluten, that is wheat, and so we have to be very careful not to get gluten on anything. She licks the back of a postage stamp that has wheat on it, she gets tummy aches. I once gave her the long drink, she was sick, wrong drink, she was sick for six weeks. So we've got the normal toasted sandwich maker, which everyone else uses, normal old bread with wheat all over it. And then we've got a special toasted sandwich maker and all over in black text, it's got written gluten-free. Now you could say, and it would be correct, that is the holy toasted sandwich maker. That's what holy means. It is different. It is set apart for a special purpose. It is not contaminated by gluten. It is set apart. That is the way Israel were meant to show people what God is like. They were to be holy. They were to live differently so that when you looked at them, they were different to the nations around them. That's why verse 6 begins with a big if. 19.6 Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, they can only be different if they obey God and keep his commands. That is what will make them different. And that's what the next few chapters are about, what it looks like for Israel to be different. So being different, it's not about dyeing your hair green or getting a tattoo or having your nose pierced. That would make you different, but that's not this different. Chapter 20, 21, 22, 23 are all about how Israel are to be different. And it is really all about B 
being like God. Not like the other nations who don't know God, but now that we know God and we know what love is, we'll live differently. And so in Exodus 20, it begins, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. That's the first way Israel are to be different to the nations around them. The nations around them are bowing down and worshipping carvings of stone and wood. Israel are different. They know the true God by name. And they'll be different. Verse 7, it goes on. You shall not misuse the name of Yahweh. We saw that a few weeks ago, your God. For Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Again, this will make them different. They're going to love God by honouring him and using his name only in a way that is good and brings him honour. And verse 8, even if all the people around them are madly working seven days a week and trying to get as much for themselves as they can, Israel will be different. They will rest one day a week to spend time with their God, Yahweh. That'll make them different. And verse 12, they will honour their father and mother. That'll make them different. And they won't murder. They won't commit adultery. They won't steal. They won't tell lies about each other and so on. That's what we call the Ten Commandments. Some people think this is some list to give to you how to get to heaven or something like that. It's nothing to do with that. This is how the nation of Israel are going to be different to the nations around them in a way that will attract other people to God. And as you read on, it's not just the Ten Commandments, it goes on. And in every area of life, Israel are to be different to the people around them. So it starts in verse 21, in the way they treat their slaves and then in the way they treat their animals and what they do when an accident happens, how they conduct their business and then how they lend and borrow money, how they conduct their relationships, how they administer justice, who they have sex with and when, how they deal with strangers, how they deal with, deal with poor people like widows and orphans what they do with a, a wandering ox, how they run their farms, what they celebrate when they have their parties. Every area of their life is now about living for God. Every area of life is, how would God have me live here? How can I love my neighbour? How can I care for these people like Yahweh has cared for me? And if they live like that, the other nations who are so different will notice. And they come and they'll say, we want to know your God. And the Israelites will introduce them to Yahweh, the true God. What a privilege this is for the nation of Israel. They are God's treasured possession. And through them, the rest of the world can come to be a part of that too. And then uh, in the next chapter, chapter 24, like at a wedding where the bride and the groom make these promises to each other, I will, I will. Israel, after hearing all these words, they make promises to God, I will. Chapter 24, verse 3. 
when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And then again in verse 7, then the book of the covenant, then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. But Israel is like a bride who commits adultery on her wedding night. Even before Moses steps down from the mountain, Israel have built an idol. We'll see that in a few weeks. And it's not just as if they break one commandment. As you read on, Israel mess up everything. They worship other gods. They make idols. They don't keep their Sabbaths. They're not faithful in their marriages. They don't care for the poor. And you read on and it gets worse and worse and eventually God says enough is enough to his own treasured people. And if you want to look it up later, don't look it up now. 2 Kings 17, after Israel are in the promised land, they get kicked out by the king of Assyria under the judgment of God. And listen to the language that Kings uses to describe why it happens. 2 Kings 17, this is a long way into the future, verse 7, Israel are kicked out of the land. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against Yahweh their God, who had brought them out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them. It's all summed up terribly in verse 15. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. And they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. They were meant to be different, holy, but they were no different. In fact, they imitated the people around them. And by the end of the Old Testament, you're left wondering if the way that people are going to get to know God is through his people, what hope has anyone got of knowing God? Look at his people, they're a mess. Then along comes one Israelite who does know God. Along comes a descendant of Abraham who does love God with all his heart. Along comes an Israelite who doesn't serve other gods ever. Along comes an Israelite who loves other people all the time. And along comes an Israelite who was exactly what Israel were meant to be. It was Jesus. And like Israel was meant to be the go-between between us and God, Jesus became that go-between. Through him, we can see what God is like. We can come to know God. More about that next week, but for now it gets better. Jesus makes a new people of God, that is us who follow him, and through what Jesus has done for us, we can do what Israel could never do. Jesus makes a new people who are different. We are different because he's put his Holy Spirit in us to make us different. You might remember in the course of your life, what is the role of God's Holy Spirit? 
The role of God's Holy Spirit is to make holy people. See, the role of God's Holy Spirit is to make us different, different to the people around us. And that's what he's doing. And that's what life is all about. Once you become a follower of Jesus, you're not just like crammed into some holding pen as if that's it. You've got your ticket to heaven. Let's wait for Jesus to return. I've got my insurance note. We have a purpose. We are here to bring other people to know our wonderful God. And turn with me to 1 Peter 2. I want to end there this morning. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing and he picks up on this passage from Exodus 19 and he applies it to followers of Jesus. Look it up if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is Peter talking to Christians and he just picks up all that um, stuff from Exodus 19. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is exactly how Exodus 19 described Israel, but this is talking about you if you're a follower of Jesus. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is our rescue. That's talking about us. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, forgave us and we now have God's mercy showered on us. Read on verse 11. This is the difference it'll make. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain. In other words, stop, don't do this. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that is people around us who don't know Jesus, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That is our purpose. Our purpose is that as we live lives that are different to the people around us and as we explain the reason for the difference, our friends, our family, our neighbours, the people we work with, they will come to know Jesus. That's what life is about. And this is all the nations. Not just Dubbo, not just Orange, Cambodia, Laos, all around the world. And not just all around the world, all around the world, in God's people, in every area of their life, this will work itself out that they will live different lives. And so as you read on in 1 Peter... What does 1 Peter do? He goes on to talk about the way that in every area of life, God's people are to be different. In the way they work, verse 18. In the way they respond to criticism, verse 23. The way they treat the government. The way they relate in their marriages. How we use our gifts. What we do with our money. Every area of our life is now caught up in living for Jesus in a way that will help other people come to Jesus. Now, if you did the course of your life, that's what it was all about, wasn't it? It was all about living 
differently for Jesus so that other people would come to know him. Whether you did the course of life or whether you didn't, how are you going with it? How are you going at putting off sin because you're now God's treasured possession and you belong to him? How are you going at putting on the new self because you're now God's treasured possession and you want to be like him? How are you going at talking to people about Jesus at work or your friends and praying for them? Because you are a kingdom of priests and through you, other people come to know him. And how are you going at praying big prayers for other people, not just for their health and for their sickness and for their finances, big prayers, spiritual prayers for them to grow more like Jesus because that is what life is all about. As fun as Lego used to be, I always got to that point where my car was finished and it was an anticlimax. I never knew what to do now. Don't let that be your Christian life. That you get rescued from your old life and you just sit there, lukewarm, and do nothing, and stagnate. There's people like that. But God wants so much more for you than that. You're his treasured possession. The whole world is his, but you are his treasured possession. And he's given you his spirit. To take your darkest addictions, your worst habits, the, thing, the things that you think you can't change, and he will change you and make you more like Jesus. And when he does that, People look at you and say, Wayne couldn't pull that off. Barry couldn't pull that off. Stewie couldn't pull that off. There must be something else at work in their lives. That is God. And on the day when Jesus returns, your friends and family who've come to know Jesus will glorify him because of God at work in your life. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us and we pray that we would remember the rescue that Jesus brought about on the cross. We pray that we'd remember that so that we'd live for him. Father, we know that we have brothers and sisters here who are at a scary point in their Christian life, not going forward, and we've looked at it. We can perhaps look at times in our own life in the past or even now. We pray that by your spirit you would change us, that we would ever be entrusting ourselves to you 
and becoming more and more like Jesus. Father, help us to see what a privilege it is to be able to be called your people. And we pray that through us, other people might come to know you, whether that's in Vanuatu or Cambodia or Laos or here in Dubbo. We pray that we would live such good lives and be able to speak into people's lives of the wonderful truth of the gospel that they might come to know you too. Amen.